Okay, good evening, ladies. Happy post Purim. So as we head into Pesach, ooh, I was just telling my sister, I heard somebody say that God, Hashem, made sure there was a Purim in between Hanukkah and Pesach. Otherwise, the OCD Jews would already be, pre be preparing for Pesach after Hanukkah. So we just put <laughs> that real Hametz holiday four weeks before so he could, you know, tame all those people who would have started cleaning already before by Hanukkah. <laughs> um, anyway, make, oh, let me mute everybody. Not me. How do I mute everybody? I forget. Yeah. So, um, so our topic that we're going to go back to, which I taught way, way back in my podcast, way at the beginning, but of course, the nature of a vad of working on one's character is that it never ends. And whatever our character traits are that are in need of fixing, we have to work on them our entire life, right? We know that we come into this world with positive traits and negative traits, and neither of them were given to us. I mean, sorry, neither of them, neither of them are we really responsible for. Hashem himself is the one who gives us the constellation of both positive and negative traits. Hi, welcome. Come on in. Have a seat. Okay, what's your name? Oh, Rina Rifka. Hi, Rina Rifka. Nice to meet you. Okay, come on in. So, um, standing room only over here, just so you know. Just kidding. We got one. <laughs> we got one. Um, what was I saying? Right. So whatever it is, whatever your difficult trait is that you were actually born with, right? It's a lifetime of work. I always like to tell the story of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, who was the rabbi who was the leader of the Musser movement, which is not such an old movement. It started sometime in Europe like in the last century. And the idea of the Muslim movement is that even if people learn Torah and they keep the mitzvot, if they don't really focus on character development and fixing their character traits, and it's not just going to happen naturally. I mean, the Torah does ennoble us, obviously, but, you know, ain derech eretz, ain Torah. If we don't develop ourselves in terms of our refinement of character, then, the, then we don't make ourselves into a vessel into which the Torah can can dwell, right? And um, interestingly, we just went through the holiday of Purim, where we met a lot of very angry people in the Megillah, you know, beginning with Achashverosh, who gets rid of his wife Vashti because he has a moment of, you know, insanity. Of course, he regrets it soon after, as we all do when we get angry and we wonder what just happened and where did my mind go? As we know that biologically, when a person gets angry, literally the blood rushes to our heads. 
fight or flight, and we really can't think straight. So we have Achashverosh, of course, we have Haman, who's constantly angry, even though this guy has everything in the world, everything anybody could wish for, all the money, all the children, all the glory. But that Jew Mordechai doesn't bow down to him, and it's all over. He can't control himself. He's willing to risk everything he's got, including life itself, which we know he does, in order to fill that place of arrogance and ego, which is usually what fires up our anger. Anger is always related to ego, to a certain kind of arrogance. How could you do this to me? We talked about this a little bit last week. And we see the undoing of, of Haman because of his anger because of his arrogance. And now we go into the holiday of Pesach, and it seems that Purim and Pesach are very much connected. This whole period, we're told, beginning with the month of Adar until Pesach ends, is really a time of Simcha and really a time of us defeating Amalek. Amalek, of course, is anything to do with the Yetzir Hara, with the Satan, with arrogance, with pushing God out, with the illusion that we are the center of the universe, right? Which again, you know, the Chazal tell us, the sages teach us that when a person is in a state of anger, it's as if they're worshiping foreign gods. So, you know, I, I, I understand that statement as who's the foreign god? Myself. <laughs> I, I basically have moved God out of center stage and I am worshiping myself. And that's why I get so angry because everybody else should also worship me. How dare they not? How dare they defy me, right? How dare they not obey and do as I say and etc. But we all know that we cannot really control others. We can only control ourselves. And though we might know that intellectually, of course, anger is a very primal reflex and, again, a very difficult one to control. So we have the whole concept at Pesach time of chametz. And, you know, the question that's asked is, why can't we just eat matzah on Pesach? Like, why can't we just eat matzah? Why do we have to spend a whole month getting rid of chametz? Let's just eat matzah. So this whole search for chametz, and I know maybe I should give a plug here that we're really only supposed to be looking for chametz in our homes. We're not supposed to be redecorating and going through every cupboard and cleaning that drawer that, of course, we should take, as my sister was saying, she remembers when Rabbi Hach freed her from the bondage of, of Egypt when he said, you know, you're really just supposed to be looking for the crumbs. You can literally take everything out of that drawer, give it a wipe, and put everything back in the same messy, chaotic way that it was before. <laughs> you know, it's not about winning the homemaker's prize of the year and doing your curtains and, and painting your ceilings and everything else. It's really about looking for the crumbs. Now, in the olden days, people had small homes, and they maybe even had a dirt floor back in Europe. 
All they had to do was sweep their floor and they were done, you know, and check their, if they were lucky, they had two rooms, right? So people could afford to be extremely, whatever, they could redo their house, whatever, they could, you know, be a little more scrutinizing of things that were not necessarily chametz. But today we have so much more, even if we live in a small home. And so, you know, if a woman falls asleep in her chicken soup at the Seder night, it's her own fault to some degree because she's been working like a dog. Now, again, I don't want to say anything too negative about it because there actually are rabbis that say anything a woman does to get ready for Pesach is meritorious. And that if there's one holiday that we're allowed to go mashugana about, it's Pesach. And I remember Rabbi Berkowitz, my halacha teacher, saying you're not allowed to make fun of anybody in the way that they get ready for Pesach, even if they seem to be extremely extreme, because this is one holiday where, you know, as long as your kavanas, your intentions are to really come to the Seder, you know, as purified and clean of chametz, if you like, as you can, then it's a beautiful thing, right? I always like to share the story of Reb Levi Yitzchak of at this time to kind of bring home this point of how beloved the Jewish people are to Hashem in their search for chametz that begins weeks and weeks before Pesach comes. So it says that in the early morning of Erev Pesach, he called in three of his chassidim and he gave each of them a job. So to the first one, he says, I want you to go out into the city of Berdichev, into the village, I guess it was a little town or something, the town of Berdichev. And I want you to bring me back all of the Turkish tobacco that you can find in any Jewish home. To the second one, he says, I want you to bring me back Persian silk. Again, and any piece of Persian silk that you can find in any Jewish home. And to the third one, he says, I want you to bring me back any speck of chametz that you could find. And of course, this is Erev Pesach, the night before Pesach. So the first one goes out. And now I just want to make it clear Turkish tobacco, Persian silk, all of these things were considered contraband. Anybody caught with them in their possession would be shot probably in those days or put in jail for life, something like that. And the first guy goes out and he says, you know, he first says to the Rebbe, you know, you know that it's illegal to have Turkish uh, tobacco. And Rebbe Levy of Berdichev says, it's okay, just go and look. Anyway, the first guy comes back a few hours later and he's got sacks and sacks of Turkish tobacco. The second guy goes out to go find the Persian silk. And of course, exactly the same story. He comes back with rolls and rolls of Persian silk. And the third guy who was ordered to go and find any speck of chametz in any Jewish house, he comes back breathless minutes before Pesach and announces to the Rebbe, you know, I went through every house of Berdicha and I couldn't find one speck of chametz. So at this point, Rebbe Levi, who was always a great advocate to the Jewish people, that's what he was famous for. He was always pleading with Hashem our good, our good, our, our good cause, right? Our cause. He looked up into he to heaven and he said, 
But SAR has made laws that Turkish tobacco is contraband and has set up police to enforce them. But your people managed to get Turkish tobacco. He has border guards, which by pain of death supervise the borders. But your people managed to get Persian silk. Your people aren't afraid of the police or the border officials. Only afraid of a few words in your Torah. Right? Literally, one verse in the Torah, in Parsha's bow, chapter 12, where it says, For seven days, leaven may not be found in your houses. There's not a speck of chametz on any Jewish house because of these this one verse in the Torah. Look at your people, Hashem. Look at how great they are. Look at how they are not afraid of the police and they're not afraid of, of soldiers, but they fear you and they want to do your will. So what's so terrible about chametz? The Torah says four times not to eat chametz, otherwise your soul will be cut off. That's considered to be the most severe severe consequence of a of a of a of a sin right i think the only other time maybe it applies is yom kippur that you have kares what's called spiritual excision as they say okay so what is it that's so bad so i'm not going to get into pesach yet because we're not quite there and i i don't know i think we promised to talk about anger so the people who were here before i don't know where they are but they'll listen to this i guess um, so, but what is the connection between chametz and anger? The reason that I decided to begin with this. So I don't have a blackboard here and I didn't write it on a piece of paper, but for those of you who know Hebrew, right, you know, and you've probably heard this before that the same letters in the word matzah, mem tzadik hey, for any of you who have a pen and paper there, you can write it down, mem tzadik hey, are the same letters in the word chametz. Except the chet and the hay, right? Right, the chet and the hay are different. But if you draw a hay and you just continue the line up to the top, the hay becomes a chet. So this is symbolic of the idea of the bread that rises, right? The dough that when left alone for 18 minutes, will of its own accord without any yeast or anything in it, flour and water left alone for 18 minutes, just a few seconds after, will begin to rise. It will fill up with air. And the same amount of dough will get bigger. And the idea of chametz is this idea of being puffed up of arrogance of which leads to anger right of this illusion of there's no room for god because i'm the center of the universe it's also that hamates represents it's called the bread of illusion and matzah to the conch and hamates really is very symbolic of amalek and the idea that if you just leave dough, flour, and water alone, it you don't have to do anything. It just happens. It just rises. The Amalek theology or philosophy in the world that things just happen, right? 
And matzah represents the idea of humility, the opposite of humility, of simplicity, of awareness of God. It's the bread of faith, right? It's cutting through the illusions and having clarity and understanding that Hashem is running the world. And not only the world, but he's even running my world, right? Not just the world out there, but the world in here, right? We remember classes we did about the Olam Gadol and the Olam Katan, that each one of us is a microcosm of the big world out there. We Each one of us is an entire universe, an entire world. That's why we know Hashem created the world with one person. To say for one person, I created this world and every universe in Milky Way and stars and planets and everything just for one person. Because if you save one life, you saved an entire world. And if you destroy one life, you destroyed an entire world. Right? So, how did I get there? Uh, <laughs> So the point is, is that we continue to fight Amalek from the time of Purim all the way through Pesach. And the way we do this is by seeking out the chametz. And as we go through looking for the chametz in our homes, and you really, it really does change things. When you understand that the external looking for chametz around your place is really ferreting out what it's supposed to be mirroring and symbolizing and what it's supposed to be an exercise in is ferreting out those nooks and crannies of chametz within each one of us. Those places where we feel restricted and trapped and, 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 and boundaries upon us that we've created those illusions that we have that we're in charge, that inability to let go and let God and recognize that he's got our backs and he'll take us where we need to get to. And we don't have to try so hard. We just have to do the, the, the regular normal and he'll do the rest, right? We talked a lot about this in Bitachon classes. And so chametz does have a lot to do with the idea of anger and why we get angry. Because when we get angry, it's an eclipse of God. And it's forgetting that, again, Hashem is the one who sends the situations and the people our way. And our job is to respond in a less angry way, in a more regulated way. And that's the work. Oh, I never told you the story about Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. Okay, let's go back to that. So Rabbi Yisrael Salanter was once walking home late from the base medrash and he walked by a little shtetl home and it was very late at night. It was already early morning. And he saw that there was a shoemaker inside the house with a candle and he was busy fixing the shoes and Rabbi Sol stopped by and knocked on the door and he said Rabbi Yid what are you doing 
it's so late. Why are you up? And the shoemaker said to Rabbi Yisrael, he said, as long as the candle is burning, I can fix. I can fix the shoes. I can fix the soles of these shoes. So I once read that Rabbi Yisrael Salanter spent a whole year thinking about this, okay? Like, this is how quiet is an idea that shtika is offense to wisdom. You know, today we blab everything immediately. We can't keep things in for a second. But there was actually a discipline that even when you heard something wise and deep and profound, you didn't just give it away quickly. You held on to it and you digested it. And you wanted it to enter your innards. And the way you did that was through shtika, was through silence. So this is just another example of the greatness of our leaders, but it says that Rav Yisrael held this for a whole year until he told what he learned from it, which was the shoemaker was saying, as long as the candle is burning, I can fix. As long as my soul is burning within me, I can repair. I can fix those negative character traits that Hashem has given me specifically for me to work on, to find my greatness. And of course, in Hashem's world, the efforts, it's all about the efforts. You know, if you're naturally born with a more angry, passionate kind of temperament, again, whether you learned it from your home environment and you had a natural character trait towards it, right? So to everybody out there, when you lose it, you know, it's non-negotiable, it's terrible, it's horrible. But, you know, instead of losing it once a month, you're losing it now once every two months. You know that you've been working on it and you've been, and Hashem is watching that. Even if other people aren't as forgiving, Hashem knows what our challenges are and he knows the efforts that we put into whatever challenges and struggles and difficulties and situations in our lives. Hashem looks at the effort. He does not look at the results. Now, again, we know anger is a very difficult character trait because you really can destroy relationships and you really can get yourself into a place where people just don't want to be around you. So it's not an easy one, but neither is jealousy or depression or anxiety or any of these, although anger does have top billing with the Rambam, with Maimonides, who said that with every other character trait, you should go to the opposite extreme in order to come back to the middle, that you should distance yourself, that, you, you, that there's a middle path, except he says with anger. With anger, you really have to rid yourself of it completely. Right, Even with jealousy, we have the idea of kina sofrim. You can be jealous, but be jealous of people that are worth being jealous of, meaning spiritual people, people who have a lot of mitzvot, people who are not collecting material toys, but people who are collecting the ability to do kindness and tzedakah and learn Torah and all the things that we value, right? And have good character traits. So there's a place for jealousy. With anger, however, real anger, the Maimonides says you have to try to rid yourself of it completely. 
So it's a very difficult task. And some of us are naturally born with more ka'as than others. And whatever it is, the point is, is, you know, until we're 120, as long as the candle is burning, we can fix. So that's what, what we try to do. Okay, so in last week's class, we talked a little bit about the two types of anger. And the first one we talked about is external anger. And external anger, ka'as, is when you just explode and everybody knows you're angry and everybody goes, whoa, she's angry. <laughs> Watch out, right? Now, as bad as that is, and we, of course, we've, we've likened that to some porter, right, who's carrying a heavy piece of furniture and he can't take it anymore. It's just too heavy. And he literally whips, throws it off of his back and it goes crashing down to the ground and the piece of furniture has a few nicks in it. But as terrible as that kind of anger is, the Torah tells us that what's even worse is internal anger, what we call hakpada, okay? That internalized anger and resentment and bearing grudges and negative feelings that we have inside our hearts for another human being, specifically another Jewish brother or sister, but of course, if we work on that, hopefully it will filter out to everybody else in the world, right? Except for our evil enemies who we're allowed to hate, right? We're allowed to want to stamp out Haman. We're allowed to want to stamp out the evil in the world. But generally speaking, it's so important that the rabbi said you have to rid yourself of this mida, of this character trait, like you get rid of chametz before Pesach. That's how they put it. And he says that hakpada is a very insidious type of anger, right? It's dangerous to ignore it and to pretend you don't have it when you do. Number one, it's not good for your health. You know, yelling and screaming and letting it out is probably more beneficial in terms of health than keeping it in and allowing it to, so to speak, be this toxic poison. Or as somebody once put it, it's like pouring a glass of poison for the person you hate and then drinking it yourself, right? Because they're fine. They don't even know. They forgot all about it. And you're busy holding on to it. And you're busy nursing it. And you've got a whole cold war going on inside of you, right? It goes on and on and on. Now, again, I'm not saying it's easy to resolve hakpada. There are some of us that have hakpadas that are very old. Sometimes people get them passed on for generations, right? You learn, there was a song that my mother used to like. I think it was from South Pacific. You've got to be taught to hate and fear. Do you remember that one? You've got to be taught to hate and fear. You've got to be taught from year to year. It's got to be drummed in your dear little ear. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught to be afraid of people whose eyes, I don't know this one, or people whose skin are a different race. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught before it's too late, before you are six or seven or eight, to hate all the people your relatives hate. That's the line I wanted. 
to hate all the people your relatives hate. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be carefully taught. So again, hakpadas can be very, very deep and very dug in. And they're very difficult to crumble. And maybe even Hashem doesn't expect us to be able to. But we still have to do the best we can and try to move on. I remember my brother told me a story recently of my father at a funeral of, I guess, a man that he knew well. And he also knew that the two brothers had not spoken to each other in years. And only my father would do this because he had the guts. So I believe the story. He actually, the two brothers were standing there by their father's grave. And he said, put your hands out and make up. If not now, when? And my brother said, my father said, one brother put his hand out and the other brother turned and walked away. Yeah. And... Anyway, that's how far it can go. But Baruch Hashem, we're all here to grow and to try. So why is it dangerous to ignore it? Let's say a fresh hakpada, right? Somebody who's insulted you recently. Somebody who's ignored you or insulted you or said the wrong thing or wasn't sensitive or, you know, always does something and never is going to get it. Why should we start working on it now going forward, right? So... It's a dangerous thing to ignore for five reasons. The first one is you may come to really hate the person over time. The longer you keep this estrangement or this feeling or harbor this feeling of intense resentment. And then you'll transgress the mitzvah from the Torah where we're told, don't hate your brother in your heart. It's a mitzvah. Hashem doesn't give us mitzvahs that we can't do. This is one of the foundational ideas in Judaism, right? Hashem created us. He created the Torah as an instruction booklet for human beings. And there's no mitzvah that we cannot do. And some are harder and some are easier. And some don't demand emotional work. But if it's there, it means we can do it. Now, we may need therapy and we may need help. But, you know, sometimes if it's not a Torah therapist, they'll make you hate the other person even more, right? <laughs> How many therapists, you know, help people get divorced as opposed to help them stay together? So, you know, the Torah hashkafa of help can be very, very different than out there in the world. Because a Torah psychologist or therapist is guided by the Torah and its instructions and that there's a way and we have to try and find it and we have to exhaust every way of finding peaceful re resolution, right? For example, in the, in the area of marriage, even though divorce is a mitzvah in Judaism, meaning that when it has to happen, it's, it's, it's necessary. It's not like the Catholic church or whatever, right? It's a mitzvah. But we still say that the altar, so to speak, the altar in the holy temple sheds tears. Because it would, we would prefer that it wouldn't have had to be. But again, we're, we're realistic about 
the fact that sometimes people do have to get out of certain situations. Okay, <clears throat> so why else is this hakpada so dangerous, this internalized anger and resentment, even more than the ka'as, the explosive anger? Because if the other person doesn't know that we're angry, because we're going, oh no, it's okay, it's all right, you know, but inside we're seething, then there's no room for rectification. If you don't know that I'm upset with you, how are we ever going to work it out? Right? And so we're just going to go about our business and, you know, give a little fake smile or whatever it is and never have resolution with the other person. Number three, another reason why Hakpat is so dangerous is I might feel very good about myself that I've held in my anger and not realize that I have a buildup of anger from doing this over and over again. And we know like in, uh, you know, in the English vernacular, we call this somebody who's passive aggressive, right? And a lot of times they feel, I think it's the next one. They feel like holier than thou, you know, because I can control myself when I'm angry, unlike you, who's exploding and losing it, right? But really, it's a weapon. Because it's like, you can pretend that you're such a nice guy because you don't yell and scream. But meanwhile, inside, you're going to hold it and have this kind of grudge and revenge sort of uh, estrangement type of feeling to the other person going on for as long as you don't let it go. So, but you can fool yourself and say, I, I'm the nice guy. And nobody knows about your hakpada. So you don't have to be embarrassed by it, like the person who explodes, who could be embarrassed about it, you know, a few minutes later. The Gemara says a person can have a long life without hakpada. And it's medically proven that people with a lot of anger have a lot of physical ailments because of negative energy. So most of us have some level of hakpada. So Rabbi Yisrael Salanter says that a way, the way a person should think that will help them with hakpada is they should think like that many things that go on in the world are small. You know, it's kind of like that book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. So I guess Rabbi Yisrael Salanter could have written that book. And he says the way that you keep the small stuff in perspective, and chalavai, we could all do this, is realizing that the time we are leaving the world is not known to us. So why am I sweating the small stuff when life is so short? You know, we have that Tehillim that we say, I can't remember which number it is, maybe 90, not sure. Or we say, you know, what is the, what is the eight, what is the span of a person's life? 70 years, 80 years, and how quickly it goes and how it's like a, you know, we say it a lot in the Yom Kippur davening, how life is like a wind that blows and a breath and it's over. So if a person could really, really, somehow meditate on that 
than if someone steals your spark parking spot, you know, you realize it's just not worth it. And you become more easygoing. It's not worth having hakpada for our health or our relationships. And Rav Naftali Amsterdam says, the more a person has a vision of their mission in the world, the less they worry about the little stuff, the less they worry about the kleinakite, as they say, the small things. Now, the word hakpada is interesting because it comes from the word kipod. Kipod, I think, is the pronunciation, which actually means a porcupine in Hebrew. So, you know, it's like that person that's got passive aggressive anger. It's like you just feel like their quills are out. And even though, again, they haven't been yelling or screaming, you know, and they'll put on that smile. No, no, it's okay. Everything's okay. It's fine. Well, you decided to come in person. I saw you on Zoom. You're so cute. So what did you miss? Should I back rewind? How long did it take you to come? Okay. Anyway. Um, yeah, but Kipod is a, a porcupine, right? And isn't that such a great description of somebody who's like seething inside, but like they're smiling on the outside? And like everybody knows something's up with you, okay? Like, I don't know what it is, but I'm staying far away because I can feel your vibes. I can feel your quills, even if you're pretending that everything's okay. And women, by the way, have more hakpada than men. I just wanted to throw that in there. You know, women tend to give a lot more in terms of relationships. We're naturally more emotional. We give a lot more. So the rabbis have even said that women tend to have more internalized anger and resentment. Because men are just like they slap each other on the back or give each other a good punch and, you know, and then they're, they keep going. And I'm not saying men are free from this. This is not true either. But because women invest so much in relationships and so much, I mean, we raise our kids and we put our all into everything, we're going to hold stuff. And, you know, people know that. So the word makpid in Hebrew, when somebody says, oh, he's so makpid, he only eats chalav Yisroel, or, you know, she's so makpid, she has to match her earrings with her purse and her shoes, you know? So, so that word could also be translated as meticulous, right? Somebody who's very meticulous, who has a certain standard of whatever it is that they do, and it's always got to be like that, right? And, 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 you know... So this Rabbi Naftali Amsterdam gives a, a, a mashal, a, a story about when a person knows what their mission is, they don't get caught up in the small things in life. They're focused on their goal and they see it and they always have it in front of them and they don't let the stuff on the side, right? That, that the rest of us just get distracted by. They don't let it let it pull them down. And he says, it's like, let's say there's a woman who likes to match everything and she can't find the earrings that match her purse and she's going insane, right? But suddenly she looks out the window and she sees a child is drowning in her neighborhood's, you know, her, her neighbor's pool. Now, is she going to keep on looking for her earrings or is she going to run out to save the child? Right? So, he says, if you understand that you have a bigger mission than finding your earrings, then, you know, 
you won't be held back by these, this small stuff. I don't have time to worry about this little thing because I don't have time to worry about this little offense that somebody did to me, this insult, this, this, you know, ignoring me, whatever it is that gets us upset. This comment was unnecessary. I don't have time for this. I have bigger things to accomplish. This is all so easy theoretically, right? This is all so easy theoretically, but we know, you know, our children and those in our close circle, circle one, they all know where to touch our weak spots and where to, you know, our open wounds and where they can get a, get a response, right? And so not responding or even taking 10 more seconds before you respond, which is also an achievement and an accomplishment is where we're going, is where we wanna to get to, is what we wanna try and, and understand and figure out, okay? You know, sometimes things are put into perspective when God forbid we hear tragic news or worrisome news. And we almost like want to hit ourselves in the head. Like, I'm so embarrassed that I was stuck in such a petty place. I mean, I was like going crazy about the color of the napkins. And how dare you put, the, you know, those color napkins with those dishes? I mean, are you nuts? Do you not see that they don't match? What is wrong with you? Right? And then we hear something and we go like, oh my gosh, I am so small-minded. I am so nuts, really. I am nuts, okay? As they say, what do they say? First uh, first world uh, problems? First world problems, yeah. They're all in their first world problems, okay? So what does Hakpada look like in our day-to-day -day communication? So we said again, passive, aggressive communication is called ka'as, when we just explode. Passive communication, passive aggressive is hakpada. And there's a third way of letting off steam in a proper way. And that would be called direct communication, which is called tochacha. We have a mitzvah in the Torah to address what's bothering us in as an emotionally regulated way as we can. If we can, I don't have the pasuk in front of me, but basically it says, that you have a mitzvah to reprove your fellow Jew, your fellow person, whatever. But then it says after in the same line, but don't bear a sin from because of it. And what it's telling us, number one, there's a few different ways to read it and interpret it. But number one is, is if the way that you're going to give criticism or rebuke is going to make the other person really angry and upset and unable to receive it from you, then don't do it. Because then instead of getting a mitzvah, you're actually going to get a nevera if you can't do it. And of course, when we say to do it, your heart has to be full of love. It's not because how dare you do this to me and it's all about me and I got to let you know, 
what you did to me, right? It's got to be this incredible growth process where you're the type of person that it's not about me. I'm just, I just concerned about you. I just know that if you continue with this character failing or this, you know, habit or whatever it is you're doing, it's just so painful to me that it's only going to be harmful for you, right? Now, listen, to get this into perspective, there were rabbis, I think all the way back in Rabbi Akiva's time, we're talking thousands of years ago, where they literally wrote in the Gemara, okay? I doubt that there's anyone in this generation who can give tochacha reproof properly, right? So God willing, we're going to get to some, um, some methods of being able to do that. How much time do I have? Has, I wish they had a, they need a, I meant to buy a clock for this room. 822, okay. Okay. Um, so we'll go another few minutes. Okay. Um, Okay, here's another definition of hakpada, okay? Characterized by an unwillingness to honestly share thoughts, feelings, and desires. It often leaves the other person feeling angry, confused, and mistrustful. And when a person operates from this hakpada, from this passive-aggressive internalized anger, it's a barrier to true intimacy. You can't, like we said about the porcupine, you can't really get close to them, right? So again, it's characterized by a person who says, you may be, do, you may be doing something insensitive, but I don't want to let you know what I'm feel like, feeling. I'd rather be angry internally towards you and not deal with it. Can you hear Aviva's question? No? Okay, I'll repeat it. Go ahead, Aviva. Any interaction? Any? Like positive or negative? Like they... Well, that's a good question. I mean, it sounds when you say any interaction, it sounds like the person isn't mentally um, stable. But you're saying positive or negative. You're saying anything that hints of negativity, or you're saying even if you say, I like your dress, they. Oh. Yeah. And you know they're never going to accept it. Yeah. So right. what do you do? Well, you know, if you know a person is not going to be macabre, they're not going to receive and they're not able to, whether it's because they have such a poor sense of self-worth or whether they just can't take any criticism, right? And I mean, most of us don't like criticism. I mean, let's be real, right? Yeah. People don't like to be criticized. You know, the the rabbis, the sages compare criticism to salt. You know, if you put too much, burns. And also if you put too much, forget it. 
If you put just the right amount, okay. But it's very difficult. But what, I mean, listen, I think that, you know, you, you just have to know who you're dealing with. And you just have to continuously say to yourself that I, it's not me, it's them. Right. Especially if you're dealing with an overly sensitive person, right? Mm -hmm. Who reacts in a, in a, in a way that's not within the realm of normal. Right. Because it sounds like that's the type of person you're talking about. You're not talking about somebody. Right. Yeah, I'm going to tell them what you said. No, no, go on. That's, so so that's, that's, that's a one. That's one technique that we're going to get to. But I'm sorry, what was your name again? Rina, Rina was yeah. saying that you know she really talks to a shem in those moments, and that's always a good idea. Meaning that you know if you're with a very difficult person. And sometimes it's, you know, in the moment she's saying that she'll say, Hashem, put the right words in my mouth or help me to, you know, say this in a way where the other person will be able to receive it. Is that Am I saying it the way you said it? Almost like a meditative way, you know, because again, I want to take it a little further and say, Hashem puts difficult people in our lives. And, you know, very often, we really don't know what to do, or we do make mistakes sometimes, and we can't control whether people are going to hold it against us, right? We can only control whether we, we're going to hold it against them, which again, it's like pouring a cup of poison for them and drinking it yourself. If you decide that you're going to choose the world of estrangement as opposed to the world of connection, right? That's up to you. But when it comes to another person, we cannot control whether they're going to hold things against us, never forgive us, continue to stew and go over and over in their minds and ruminate about, you know, what you did once upon a time and, you know, how I'm never going to forgive you. And there too, I think we have to send it up to Hashem and say, you know what, Hashem, please soften their heart or please help them get the help they need or please help them to get over it or read something or meet somebody that makes them go ding dong, you know, like, what is wrong with me? Why am I like such an idiot? Like, you know, this person did one thing to me, but they've done so many good things for me or they've done whatever. Or, or it can even be that they say, why am I, why am I torturing myself? And they have a ding dong moment. But even that, we have to believe. And as Jews, we really have to believe. And one of the tools that we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about five different tools. I think there's five. And we're going to use the acronym MENDIT. Okay, we'll start, God willing, next week. Mend it. Okay. But one of those five is sending up a prayer and not forgetting the power of prayer. Even for the silliest things, I mean, I know I've said this and, you know, I, I wouldn't believe it myself if it didn't happen to me. 
but I'm literally deafened to a sham when I can't get the top off of the Tide detergent downstairs in the laundry room all by myself. And I figure I'll just try this out. And I do it in front of my grandchildren too, because I want them to, to see that even if it doesn't open after I say it, I'm still asking. And the truth is, is I'm, I still remember, I, Hashem, please help me open this. And literally the next second, like butter, it just came off, okay? So we forget. And, and of course, when it happens with the top of the Tide bottle, we say, wow, Hashem, you care about this little thing, like the Tide bottle? Like you're not just too busy with the wars in the world and, you know, nuclear bombs like you care you, you know and i always like to say you know when we say hashem who gadol hashem is big there's nothing for hashem you know to say hashem is big and think that he's busy with only the big things in the world that's making hashem small what makes him so big and so great is that he even cares about my getting the top off the tide that's what makes him so big right Forget about the fact that he created all these universes and 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 everything else that you know he's he's involved in. But the fact that he's close and he hears us, and even when it comes to difficult people in difficult situations, we shouldn't forget that we have this tremendous ammunition, which is just to send up a prayer, even if it's Hashem, help me to control myself. Help me not to have that reflex response. Help me to get myself ready for this interaction that I know is going to be difficult, right? Because this is the way it always goes. And then Aviva says, come and see me. I'm Lucy, five cents. <laughs> come and see me. Anyway, ladies, I think that we have enough to think about tonight. God willing, I don't know if I'm doing next week or not. I'll find out from the village shul. Um, but we'll, we'll start on this mend it and see what kind of strategies we can have to work on our anger and our hakpada. Thanks a lot for coming out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank, you. Thank you so much. Okay. Hi, bye Renee. Take care.